This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heartland Daily Podcast. This is Anne-Marie Schieber of Healthcare News. Last week, the Uniform Law Commission decided to table a decision to revise the legal definition of clinical death, an issue that has been getting a great deal of attention in the medical world. Now, the ULC is the agency that sets legal standards that governmental bodies then can adapt for their own laws. What happened last week was the ULC could not come to a decision. There was much backlash uh, from what they were being asked to do, which potentially would have given doctors and hospitals broader range in declaring someone dead. Uh, Why would they want to do that? Well, I'm happy to present today an interview I did last week before the decision with Dr. Heidi Klessig. Dr. Klessig has been on the podcast before, and she's an authority on this issue. She writes and speaks extensively on the ethics of organ donation. She is a retired anesthesiologist and works closely with the organization RespectForHumanLife.com. Thank you for coming back on the podcast. Thank you, Anne-Marie, for having me on the program. So, Dr. Klessig, before we get into the nitty-gritty, I want to ask you right off the bat, what is going on. I mean, we saw the obliteration of liberty with COVID. We now seem to have an explosion of children who don't relate to their biological sex and want to permanently and experimentally alter their bodies. Is expanding the definition of death the next horizon? Well, I'm, I'm sorry to have to tell you, in a way, the future is already here because the proposal that the Uniform Law Commission is currently considering is about changing the legal definition of death in America to reflect what doctors are already doing. Uh, In other words, doctors are already diagnosing brain death according to looser standards than what the law demands. And this has led to lawsuits because families have recognized that doctors did not fulfill the requirements of current law when diagnosing their children or family members as brain dead. Now, let's talk about the changes that the ULC is considering. What is option one? The drafting committee that is working on revising the Uniform Determination of Death Act, which has been in place since 1981, has been working for three years to try to come up with an option that will satisfy everybody. And after three years of hard work trying to reconcile people who point out that the current law doesn't represent what doctors are actually doing and the ideas of people who have deep philosophical, moral, and scientific objections to the concept of brain death to begin with, the drafting committee was unable to come to an agreement. And so what they've decided to do is bring two options forward for discussion at the Uniform Law Commission annual meeting coming up to be discussed. um, It'll be Wednesday, July 26th next week. Option one is that we would simply retain the current Uniform Determination of Death Act definition of legal death. And and that would be that an individual is dead 
if that individual has sustained either, number one, an irreversible cessation of circulatory and respiratory functions, that's heart and lungs have stopped, or an irreversible cessation of all functions of the entire brain, including the brainstem. Option one is to keep the law in place that we currently have. All right. What is option two? Option two is being put forward, and this is the option that is very similar to what's um, been implemented in Canada. Option two, the word irreversible is changed to the word permanent. And they say that you must have permanent cessation of heart and lung function or permanent, they've dropped the entire brain and just dropped it to coma, loss of the ability to breathe spontaneously, and just the loss of brain stem reflexes. All right, so I want to break down these differences a little bit more. Um, now, in option one, you say that they use the word irreversible, irreversible cessation of circulatory and respiratory functions, or it could be all the functions of the entire brain. What is, tell us what that is. So back in 1981, the Uniform Determination of Death Act was meant to represent death as a biological occurrence, which is why they use cessation of all functions of the entire brain, uh, so irreversible cessation of heart and lung functions. Irreversible means not able to be reversed. Death is an irreversible state that marks the end of the dying process. This is a scientific reality. Death is irreversible because no mortal can return from being dead. I mean, short of miraculous intervention. Uh, resuscitation cannot bring a corpse back from death. Uh, resuscitation can only interrupt the dying process in someone who is still alive. Now, I'm a non-expert, and I imagine most people in the general public would think of the word permanent, which is used in option two, as being the same as irreversible. Um, but there's some very big differences between these. So let's, let's first talk about this word permanent and how it is different from irreversible. So for the sake of the law, they are defining the term permanent to mean that a function is lost and that it will not resume spontaneously, you know, which is an educated guess. No one of course, can predict the future 100%. But the most important change in the definition is they're defining permanent to mean that the heart, the lung, the brain function will not be restored through intervention. In other words, they're saying maybe the function could be restored, but doctors have chosen not to intervene, even though they might have succeeded. So this changes death from a scientific biological reality to something that depends on human intent. I mean, it becomes a social, yeah. medical, legal construct. I mean, permanent is a prognosis of what will happen because doctors have decided not to act. And, and this, if made into law, will make still living people legally dead already. And let's I mean, face if they it. Use the term, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, if well, they use the term per permanent, we could have two people who are in the exact same physiological state. They, they might have had a cardiac arrest, for example, and one will be considered alive and another dead, depending on whether or not resuscitation will be attempted. 
And, and this is going to be up to the judgment of whoever's treating you. <laughs> and, and if you're in an emergency situation, you probably don't know who that person is. So you don't have a relationship with this person. They're going to be making a life and death decision for you. And your family's not going to be there. You, you're probably, you know, back uh, from their purview. So all of this is a little um, unsettling, to say the least. Now, option two also uses the word coma. So... Um, if there is no, if there's not a permanent cessation of circulatory and respiratory function, uh, according to option two, you could be declared death by being in a permanent coma. Now, what what is the word coma? What does that mean? Uh, a coma is a, a state of sleep-like, unarousable, unresponsiveness, but it's not the same as the loss of the ability to be conscious. I mean, conscious is a first-person subjective experience of awareness, and doctors actually have no tests for consciousness. Doctors can only test whether someone is willing and able to respond. And so since neurologists, when they look at a comatose patient, can only assess responsiveness but have no tests for actual awareness, we cannot guarantee that someone who is unresponsive is not inwardly conscious. For example, in, in the early phases of brain injury, people go through a, a phase called cognitive motor dissociation in which the patients are aware and inwardly conscious, but they're unresponsive because they're not yet able healed enough to communicate the fact that they're aware. And this was brought out in 2007 when Zach Dunlap, a, a famous case, was diagnosed as being brain dead, but he recovered. And in an interview, he told uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Paul Byrne, the next thing I remember was laying in a hospital bed, not being able to move, breathe. I couldn't do anything on a ventilator. I heard wow. someone say, yeah. he could hear doctors talking. He said, I heard someone say, I'm sorry, he's brain dead. He's passing away. And there's nothing I could do. Just get mad. I couldn't do anything to sign at all. I tried to scream, tried to move, just got extremely angry. Now, is this the now? Same I'm curious because a, about, a couple of years ago, I saw a really powerful a movie, powerful and I can't think of the name of it. It had the word butterfly writer, in it. I'm sure you're familiar with it. But anyway, it was the true story again, of a man who was in a coma, like, more or no less, sign. and. He uh, eventually wrote about like his situation, so he had consciousness. Um, is this kind of what you're talking about? Do, oh, are you familiar me, with this movie? The word butterfly. I think um, yeah, that's that's a yeah, that's a famous uh, book. It's called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, and it ah. is the it is the autobiography of a, a editor of the French Elle magazine who suffered a brainstem stroke and he developed what's called locked in syndrome and he could only communicate by blinking his left eye but he was completely inwardly aware and by blinking his left eye as an assistant pointed to a letter board he told an amazing story and told how much he appreciated people who continued to treat him as a human being instead of a vegetable or something yeah. less than human. Yeah, if uh, you can watch that movie, it was very powerful. Um, yeah, it's not streamed. <laughs> I checked. Um, there, so, there's a book. You can buy the yeah. book on Amazon. Yeah. All right. So let's get getting back to option two. Now, the other thing is they call they they describe as permanent cessation of spontaneous 
respiratory function. Now, if you're on a ventilator, how could you tell? I mean, because unless you take them off, you don't know, right? And the person is probably heavily sedated. So can you talk about that? Sure. Um, as far as sedation is concerned, all sedating drugs are supposed to be withdrawn before a diagnosis of brain death is made. But it's not always the case. There's a, a lady that you can find on our survivors page um, on uh, respectforhumanlife.com. Her name was Colleen Burns. She was diagnosed brain dead after an attempted uh, drug overdose in 2009. But at the hospital, they never took the time to be sure that all the drugs she had taken had actually cleared out of her system before they declared her brain dead. And horrifyingly, she actually opened her eyes on the operating room table minutes before her organs were harvested. Wow. Um, what you bring up about the ventilator is uh, part of brain death testing does include removing the patient from their ventilator for up to 10 minutes and observing to see whether or not they breathe uh, independently. Uh, this is horrible and unethical test. For one thing, it does nothing for the patient. It only serves, you know, unspecified others in society who might want that patient's ICU bed or want that patient's organ. So it's, it's, it's unethical to do a dangerous test like this for people who will not benefit from it. And the test does not even reliably tell us whether that person will eventually start breathing again on his own. It can also cause further brain damage in a brain-injured person because the test itself decreases blood flow to the brain. So, yes, it's, it's a sad state of affairs that these people are, are being victimized uh, for the sake of, of people who want their ICU beds or people who want their organs, ultimately. Now, I, I, I want to ask you about this issue one more time about sedation. So when somebody's heavily sedated, they appear to be in a coma. You can't talk to them. They're asleep. So, um, and, and hospitals will always tell you they need to be sedated because otherwise they would suffer severe pain. Now, is that the case or do we over sedate some of these patients, would you say, on ventilators um, so that you may get the sense that they are on death's door? You know, it's hard to say. It would be up to the individual doctor and the individual patient. There's, I can't give you a, a, yeah. a blanket statement about that. I'm sure there's a spectrum uh, which covers um, both sides of that issue. How, how do doctors determine? All right, so um, on option two, I want to ask you about the brain stem. So now it's just the brain stem, uh, the permanent loss of the brain stem reflexes uh, that they say you can be declared dead under option two. Now, how would doctors go about doing that? Okay, well, brainstem reflexes, you know, people are often surprised to learn that these are not tested with anything fancy. I mean, you test brainstem reflexes with simple tools that you might have at home in your own kitchen. Um, you test uh, with things such as a flashlight in the eyes to see if pupils constrict. I mean, you shoot a syringe of cold water in ear canals to see if it makes your eyes dizzy. Uh, they apply a painful stimulus to the nail bed to see if you withdraw. I mean, these tests can only tell doctors whether these reflexes are working or not working in the present moment. So doctors have to rely on their overall judgment as to whether these reflexes will or will not return in the future, which is not an exact science. 
And, of course, since they're changing the term irreversible to permanent, this, again, means doctors do not plan to intervene. So this new definition has the potential to allow more snap judgments from medical staff, causing patients to receive less care or no care at all, leading to a premature death. We Last time we had you on the podcast, we talked about this issue of organ transplants. This is just alarming because we read about these now happening more and more in the news. Um, Do you think that a lot of what is driving this new definition of death uh, is the organ transplant business? Can you talk about that? Well, you know, when you evaluate something that's going on, a good question to ask is who benefits? And, you know, obviously changing the language in the law to allow people who still have biological signs of life to be declared legally dead, who benefits from that? I mean, the medical practice that would most greatly benefit from these language changes to the Uniform Determination of Death Act would be the organ donation and transplantation business because it will allow more people, I mean, people with partial brain function to be declared legally dead. And it will allow people whose diagnosis is reversible to to be declared permanently dead because doctors do not plan to intervene. Thus, obviously, more people will have the potential to become organ donors. I guess the other so-called benefit, who else might benefit from this change, is that it will allow doctors to withdraw care from these patients, even if they're not organ donors, which people are always talking about saving medical costs and certainly if you don't provide medical care, you save money. So that is another supposed benefit. What about this issue of liability? Does this kind of take hospitals off the hook uh, if there is a wrongful death accusation? Well, if the law is changed to reflect these practices, then these practices will be legal, right? And again, legal does not always mean just moral or right. It just means legal. And so if the law is changed, these practices will be legal. And then, you know, there's no place for a lawsuit. You know, most people don't think or plan for their death uh, until it's too late. Uh, They get into an emergency situation. This is true, especially for family members. And they don't, they have to make some really huge decisions and they're not prepared. They don't have the information. Where can people learn more about these legal issues surrounding clinical death and um, surviving uh, coma, things like that? Where can people become better informed? Okay. You know, nobody likes to think about these things, right? But it's better to be forewarned and forearmed. So uh, that's why we have our website. And you can find us at respectforhumanlife.com, where we have lots of information about the various types of transplant, which ones are ethical, which ones are not. Uh, We have a link to a card from our sister organization, the Halo Voice Organization, which will allow you to uh, refuse to be a donor. And that will protect you in a a lot of ways from people uh, that might care more about your organs than you. Uh, Dr. Paul Burns Life Guardian Foundation is another great resource on this topic. And they also have a medical card to protect and preserve your life. So I would say our our website, respectforhumanlife.com, would be a good place for people to start. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Heidi Klessig, for coming on the podcast. You've given us a lot to think about. And of course, we'll be watching uh, next week as this very big meeting takes place. You'll have to come back and, and keep us posted. All right. In the notes, I will include links to the websites mentioned, respectforhumanlife.com and other uh, organizations that will be helpful to you, related articles. And be sure to check the Heartland Daily News uh, in the healthcare news section for an op-ed on this very topic uh, for commentary. I'm going to be uploading next week, July 24th, uh, by Dr. Klessig. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in and listening. If you liked what you heard today, please share our link, become a regular subscriber to the Heartland Daily Podcast uh, if you're not already, and pass on the word. Thank you for tuning in. This is Anne-Marie Schieber. Mm-hmm.